Welcome to the Project Rook Podcast, your holistic pursuit of health and wellness. What's up, good people? Welcome to episode 46 of the Project Rook Podcast, your holistic and common sense pursuit of health and wellness. What's going on, my friends? What is going on? Today's episode, of course, is brought to you by projectrook.com. But more importantly, we finally have our first guest and I'm excited. I'm hype because as much as that, you know, I feel like I know about this whole health thing. You know, there's another side of it that people are always coming at me with, well, where is the science? Where is the science in this? What does science say? So I think it's important that we get the perspective from the the scientific side, right? And nothing excites me more than seeing our brothers, you know what I mean? Getting into not only science, but technology and medicine and all of that. So the brother that I have on the line is a chemistry PhD student, soon to be graduating in a few months. He is a peer fellow at the University of Tennessee at Knoxville. And I believe that he has a scientific perspective of health that would help us in this process of kind of better understanding how not only do these worlds kind of merge together when we talk about health and healing and science, but more importantly, that science to me is trying to explain what already is and not the other way around. So without further ado, allow me to introduce the good brother Tanai Ricks. How you doing? What's up? What's up? Not much, man. I'm good. I'm good. Ready to drop these gems today, man. I'm excited to be here. Man, I am so excited to have you on. I've been thinking about this all day. Like, <laughs> yes, this is the best first guest that I could have. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. Well, hey, man, hopefully I live up to your expectations. So, yeah, I'm ready to get cracking. All right. So first, I mean, just tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, what it is that you do. Um just so we can kind of become familiar with your expertise. Okay, cool. Um, so originally I'm from Augusta, Georgia, um, born and raised for half my life in Augusta. The other half is in Dublin. Um, Dublin's a small town in middle Georgia, probably about, uh, say, an hour away from Macon. Um, if anybody knows where Macon is, and it's about two and a half hours away from Atlanta. So, um as I was growing up, I lived with my dad and my stepmom for the second part of my life and went to middle school, elementary school in Macon and went to high school in Dublin. Um, so after I graduated, I went to Georgia Southern for a little bit. That didn't work out. So I spent a little bit of time working, um, just basically trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And then I ended up back in school at Augusta State. So I ended up moving back to Augusta and I graduated excuse me, in um, 2012. And I at the time where I was graduating, probably about a year or so before, I couldn't really decide if I wanted to go into um, 
forensic medicine. But the more I started doing research, I started liking it. And so I started talking to my advisor and he was basically like, well, you know, you can go to grad school and, you know, you'd be getting paid the same amount of money for being, you know, just go get a lab lab tech job. You'd be getting the same amount of money just going to grad school. Plus, you begin your Ph.D. So I'm like, all right, well, cool. Well, sign me up, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so I ended up in Knoxville in uh, August of 2012. And I've been here ever since um, I graduated from Augusta State in four years, which is pretty hard to do with a chemistry degree. Um, most people graduate in like five. That's I think that's the norm right now. But I was able to graduate in four. And I actually graduated with a degree in uh, chemistry. My focus was in biochemistry. Um, when I came to UT, I declared as an organic chemistry major and I work in a bioorganic chemistry lab. So the majority of the stuff I do is focused on um, making compounds that have biologically relevant applications. So that's basically what I've been doing for the past five years. OK, OK. So this so this is your lane. <laughs> like yes, this is my lane. I'm trying to stay to it. <laughs> right, 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 right. OK, good. So. You have been in this, right? You, you've you been in that side. You, you, you study. This is the curriculum that is universally, when I say universally, just nationwide, just based on the um, academic, um, uh, um, what am I trying to say, uh, guidelines. Like you, you've mm-hmm. studied these things. This is, this is what you have been doing. And then you've been experimenting and all of what, you know, type of study that you have done in the lab right so what are your thoughts on science in general and in the role that it plays in health and healing and i guess the better question is when you think about what you know and what you have seen how does that align to what we are kind of generally taught about how we should be um, not only waiting on science, but but science is kind of leading the way to to guide right. us with with how we should approach health and healing. Right, right. So I guess the best way to answer that question is to say to look at science in two different ways. So you have science that's geared or chemistry specifically that's geared towards methodology and application. So that would be things like 3D printing. So 3D printing is getting pretty big right now. I think I saw a commercial the other day where they 3D printed a whole entire house, <laughs> you know? Yeah, so you that. have that side, you have that side of chemistry where it's a lot more application based where you're making plastics, you're making things that are, that are practical for people. And then you have the pharmaceutical side and that's more um, of what I do though. I don't synthesize actual pharmaceuticals. I synthesize things that would investigate pathways that could be used to develop pharmaceuticals for some kind of treatment. So the more that I study, because I have to read a lot of papers, um, specifically for my research, like a lot of the things that I do haven't been done before. So the compounds that I make, they're fairly novel. Um, and I use a lot of existing methodology in order to make these things, but The thing that I find that is odd in science, especially exploratory science, like what we do, is that when you put it into application, A, it's very hard for 
um, drugs to get passed. They have to go through like five steps in these drug trials for them to get passed. So just because you come up with a drug that shows some kind of promise doesn't necessarily mean that it's actually going to make it past the drug trials. Two, um, when you look at what these things are tested on, so I'll give you a perfect example. A lot of the cancer studies and um, even like new pharmaceuticals, uh, even some things that we use uh, on a daily basis, like makeup, things like that, or like health and beauty products, they test it on animals, right? So when you look at those animals, the animals, for the most part, they're white. And it's like, okay, we don't really think about that because it's just like, all right, well, this is just always what's been done. But if you really take the time to think about it, if these animals are white, it's mimicking white people. Because if the animals are lacking some kind of color or, or they have some kind of color deficiency, I mean, white people, it's the same thing. Like they lack the ability to make melanin in their, in, melanin in their skin. These animals lack the ability to make um, melanin and other colored compounds in their skin and in their fur. So they share essentially on a very, very rudimentary level. They share the same genotype and phenotype. So it makes sense for you as a white scientist to study white white mice or white rabbits. It just makes sense on that level. But we don't ever see these experiments being done on colored animals because that would mimic us. And that's why a lot of these treatments that we go in to get, they end up not working well for us or our bodies can't absorb them or they have some kind of detrimental effect is because they're not made for us. They're made specifically for white people. And that's the detriment of having a, a European centered mind. When you look at science, you have to look at it from African centered perspective. You have to say, okay, why is, why is only this subset of animals being used? And is this helpful for me? And I think that's why uh, we see a lot of disease propagating in the black community, especially when we get these Western allopathic treatments. Okay. Now I got to go back to something you said, because to my, to my critics, I I hear them. I hear them. When you said the drugs are tested several times, they go to go through a pretty supposedly aggressive process before being approved. I hear people saying, Oh, well, that's why I support the drugs because, you know, when I look at these herbal products, there is a disclaimer that says this has not been approved by the FDA. Right. So should I have more confidence in the pharmaceutical drug because it has gone through testing? Right. So that's <laughs> that's a very very complex question to answer. So if you're looking at it from a, oh, the government and, oh, business people wouldn't lie to me aspect, sure, you can look at it and say, oh, this has been rigorously tested. If you're looking at it from a more critical, more, you know, health-based and more exploratory thing, I would question it because at the end of the day, these things are about making money. Like pharmaceuticals are about making money. Hospitals are about making money. Like we live in a capitalistic society. So it's foolish to think that people aren't going to create some kind of demand for their product. And it's the same thing in the health industry. Of course, they're going to tell you that, hey, you know, we tested this drug like 40 billion times. It's safe, quote unquote. 
But at the same time, they keep putting fluoride in our toothpaste. And it clearly says <laughs> on, like I have in my lab, there is there are two containers of sodium fluoride and potassium fluoride. And I put gloves on when I touch them. Period, Ooh. because they're poisonous. Ooh. They are poisonous. When you look at the when you look at the at the canister at the container, it says blah blah blah, toxic if ingested. If it and also if it's on your skin, your skin can absorb this stuff. There are some salts that your skin can absorb. Those are two of them. There's also um again, so that's in your toothpaste. Um, but what about our water? I mean, we we got yo, fluoride in the I, water. Yeah, so. Fluoridated water. So I'm off fluoridated water. I haven't, um, I, I drink basically spring water. So I go to food co-op and buy my water or sometimes I'll distill it. Um, cause it's pretty, it's pretty easy to, to distill your water and then you can add like your own minerals, your own herbs and stuff to it and you're good to go. But yeah, no, that fluoride's poison. <laughs> Just straight up and down. Fluoride is poison. And the doctors know this. And the reason why they know this is that I think it was, was it World War II? It was either World War II or the Vietnam War. I think it was World War II, where they would have some of the bodies of the black soldiers and also the white soldiers. And so when they were doing the body autopsies, they would you know do full autopsies. And when they got to the brain in the black soldiers, they found that the pineal gland, for the most part, was active. And they found in the white soldiers that it was crystallized and they thought it was vestigial because they were just looking at white soldiers. Obviously, white people are just going to look at them. But when they came back and looked at the black soldiers, they saw that the pineal gland was mostly active. And the thing about fluoride is so fluoride, when it gets into your system and your body absorbs it, it calcifies your pineal gland. So it makes little crystals around it. So when you do the autopsy, you can actually see the crystals that have formed around the pineal gland and it deactivates it. So fluoride, for all intents and purposes, is a poison. Uh, another thing that fluoride does is um, it binds to your bone marrow and it actually leaches calcium from your bones. So perfect example, hydrofluoric acid. I don't know if anybody's watched Breaking Bad or anything like that, but there was a scene in Breaking Bad where um, Jesse and Walt killed a man and they broke his body up with hydrofluoric acid. Well, it dissolved the body, but it also dissolved the porcelain. So what's happened is, is that like the fluoride is binding to it and it's releasing the other ions and it's breaking it down. Same thing happens with your bones. If you get um, a hydrofluoric acid burn, you will die within, I think it's two hours if you don't seek medical treatment and you won't die from the burn. You'll die because your bone marrow shuts down. Hmm. Hmm. So I do want to, I want to pause just because some people may not know what the pineal, pineal, I always say it wrong, pineal gland <laughs> is and what's the significance of it i mean we got glands that we jack up all the time you know sure so <laughs> so, so why should why is that of any importance or should it so, be to us oh okay so pineal gland is what secretes melanin all right so melanin is the biochemical key to all life <laughs> like these scientists know it they just not going to tell you because there's no incentive to tell you um, but basically, pineal gland is where all of the, the melanin from your body is secreted. And from there, it breaks down into serotonin and melatonin. 
So serotonin is basically the active constituent of melanin. So that's the the chemical that's the most present during the daytime. So if you're doing um, any kind of, excuse me, if you're doing kind of any kind of daylight activity, your serotonin is going to be active and that's a part of your sympathetic system. And then if you're at night um, when lights get ready to go now or you're about to go into your rest cycle, that's when your melatonin gets um gets secreted and that is associated with your parasympathetic system that's also associated with your blood pressure okay so like your systolic and your diastolic pressure that's associated with serotonin and your sympathetic system and then the diastolic pressure which is your resting pressure that's associated with your parasympathetic system and um, melatonin so Melanin as a whole, it does a lot of things when it's broken out into serotonin and melatonin. It regulates your body cycles, like your your awake cycle and then your rest cycle. Um, also, melanin is obviously in our skin. So melanin is interesting because it absorbs all forms of energy. Um, so, you know, they always talk about us being sun people. And that's why, because our bodies can absorb that melanin from the sun or excuse me, absorb that energy from the sun via our melanin, and it charges us up. <laughs> That's why you see a lot of people or a lot of uh, quote-unquote primitive tribes or even you know, ancient Kemetics and Native Americans, they were basically minimally clothed for the most part, and that was because they were trying to soak up that sun. They are trying to get that sun energy. So your pineal gland has a lot to do with that. It secretes the melanin uh, inside your body. Your body absorbs it, transmutes it into information that you can use. Okay, so here's a question I have, because, you know, we have a tendency to take hold to certain concepts and we run with it. And so, you know, the idea is that we are the, you know, elite people and melanin, you know, ranks, you know, all the way high. Now, there's a misconception Mm -hmm. that white people don't have any melanin at all. And we know that's not true. Correct. The idea that we have that this kind of separates us or puts us as at a level higher than other beings. I mean, what's your thoughts on that? I, so I try not to say that too much in public just because other people can't handle it. (laughs) (laughs) Psychologically, you know, that messes with people sometimes that it's just like, you know, we have these people on earth that are just naturally like better than us, but you'll low key hear people saying, saying stuff like that. And some people are okay with it. Like, let's look at get out, like get out. is a perfect example of it. Like they low key try to tell you, you know, melanin is the reason why, you know, they were kidnapping all these black dudes and, you know, doing all these experiments to them and shit. Like, it's just like, people know, right. The only people that don't know is us. (laughs) Like we're the only people that don't know how great melanin is. And the reason why I say that is, is because they never talk about it. They tell you every single thing they want you to know on the news, um, in publications on the internet, they tell you everything that they want you to know. All right. Pay attention to the stuff that they don't tell you. And then, and like I said, in my podcast, I actually did a podcast about melanin. They don't tell you about melanin. People have had 12, 20 plus years of school. We never learn about it. And it's because if you learned exactly what it was, you wouldn't be doing these destructive things to it. Um, and like I said, it absorbs all forms of energy. So imagine if you could tap into and really connect with that and feel that as part of your being, 
there's going to be a lot of stuff you're going to be in tune with that the average person isn't. And that's why everybody says we just seem to be more in rhythm. We seem to be able to run faster. We seem to be able to jump higher. And it's because physiologically, melanin makes us different. The abundance of melanin in our bodies, it just makes us different. Good, bad, right, or wrong. That's not, you know, shitting on anybody else. That's just science. Right. <laughs> like, that just right. is what it is. And it's not for, you know, us to say, um, you know, we're better than everybody, but physiologically it sets us apart. Right. So what are the similarities when we think of blood, blood cells, chlorophyll, melanin, like how how are those things linked? All right. So so this might mess a couple people up because I know a lot of people have never thought about this. All right. So I am a heavy advocate of a plant based diet. I have been um, I recently went plant based, stopped eating meat probably within like the last six or seven months. Now I'm a heavy advocate for plant based diet. And this is why. So if you look at heme, H-E-M-E, that is the main constituent of hemoglobin. All right. And hemoglobin is what carries oxygen in our red blood cells. All right. So if you look at chlorophyll, Chlorophyll has the same exact porphyrin structure that hemoglobin does. The only difference is the metal center. All right. So imagine you have a web. All right. And in the middle of this web, there's like a there's like a raindrop or something like that. That's basically what heme and chlorophyll are. So you have this web and then you have a metal that's inside of the web that's being held that's being held in place by the um by the web. So our blood carries iron and plants carry magnesium. So that's literally the only difference between chlorophyll and the heme protein. To take it a step further, when you look at melanin, when melanin is in a sheet, so melanin is what we call a polymer. So if you look at a polymeric structure, it's one repeating unit going like a thousand times. So let's say we take one base unit every and we repeat it, you know, four or five hundred times. That's a polymer. The single part is called a monomer and the, the main constituent is called polymer. OK, so when it's sheeted together, it forms the same web. And then and then within that web, the metal that changes is zinc, Z-I-N-C, Um so the only difference really is the between melanin and chlorophyll and heme is the way it's polymerized. Um, also, there are a couple of amino acid constituents that are different, but the things that are holding the metal ions in place, exact same thing. So when you eat plants, the only thing that happens is the chlorophyll is still there. So the porphyrin structure is still there, but the only thing that happens is the metal ion gets replaced and it gets replaced with iron. So that's why... Um, so spinach, spinach is actually a really good source of iron, but it's not bioavailable. All right. So it's in a different oxidation state. So if you eat spinach, not only are you getting the chlorophyll, so you're getting the base porphyrin structure that you need. But if you eat spinach with the citrus fruit, so like uh, lemons, grapefruit, orange, it's better to eat it with lemon. So like if you're using some kind of salad dressing, put some like put some lemon juice in it. If you eat it with that, it'll reduce the iron from iron three to iron two. And then when you ingest it, 
it's basically like you're making heme inside your stomach and then your body can absorb it. And then you get that rich oxygen flow back into your cells and it helps oxygenate your body better. So if we look at the link between ourselves and plants, there are a lot of parallels. You can even see it on the walls of Kemet. Now, I'm not going to sit here and argue with people and say that we used to be green back in the day, but I will tell you, on the inside of some of those pyramids, there are some green humans, and a lot of people speculate it's because of the way they ate back in the day. They ate a heavy, heavy plant-based diet, and some people say that the heme just switched the metal ion center, and you came out with green. So that's the that's literally the only difference is the metal center. But as far as like the chemical structure it's exactly the same hmm interesting 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 all right so let's switch this thing over a little bit and let's um want to kind of dig into the role that science is playing that people may not understand because i think we've been taught and i'm not a science hater there there i hate what we have done in regard to hell, everything in civilization, you know, <laughs> we just take it and spin it the way we want to spin it to our own advantage. Right. And then, right. you know, we also suppress with it. We also, you know, um, kind of promote ignorance by right. only pushing one idea of thinking. But when we think about what science and the role science is playing in the production and manufacturing of our food. Specifically, we, we want to talk about GMOs, pesticides. <laughs> you know, you know, some people argue. I hear the arguments. This is needed. This is all for the betterment of civilization. We need this. We're running out of food, which, of course, I believe ultimately, I mean, come on, guys, this is bullshit. First of all, we overeat. If we would just cut that, that that would eliminate a lot of the troubles. But, you know, the idea that this is what we need, guys, listen, we need the, the fruits and the vegetables to be resistant. We need it to be able to endure any type of weather conditions. This is good for the people. What say you? So (laughs) my science teachers are probably going to be upset with me, but I got to tell what I think is the truth. And I think that GMOs are not what the creator intended for us because DNA is DNA is a very special thing. And our genetics are just different from everybody else's. So we, again, have to look at the fact that whenever, you know, white media says something is good for or good for us, they're talking about them. They ain't talking about us <laughs> because ultimately they're not concerned with our survival. They're concerned with theirs. You know what I'm saying? So when we talk about GMOs, anytime you alter the genetic structure of something, it's going to create a downstream effect and they say up and down that it's been tested rigorously, this and that, blah, blah, blah. But there's no way to know GMOs are fairly, they're fairly new. Um, plus I, GMOs can't be more than 30 years old. They can't. And there's no way for us to know exactly what the effects are. Like, hell, they're just coming out with new reports talking about 
you know, trauma can be transmitted through your DNA through generations. And it's like, well, shit, we've been through that. <laughs> like, right. We've been trying to tell people that trauma propagates through people's bloodlines. But now y'all just now, because it's in a peer reviewed journal, now all of a sudden it's real. OK, dude, whatever. But the fact that you have an organism whose DNA structure is not native. And not only is it not native, it's coming from a completely different organism. So let's look at um, BT corn. So most genetically modified corn in the U.S. is what they call BT corn. So it's called BT corn because there is a bacterial plasmid in it, and it's from bacteriolysis thuringiensis i think that's what it's called don't quote me on that but it's bt if you look up bt corn you can find it so there's a plasmid that they spliced into the corn dna where it produces this protein that turns it basically like a sharp triangle okay and when the insects come and eat it they ingest the protein so the protein will actually poke holes through the insects um, intestinal wall and it'll cause all of their insides to leak out and that's what kills them. So if you and got corn, this. yes, and you're eating this, oh, like, like oh. dead ass, you're eating this. <laughs> oh, okay. Yes, yes. So, and they say that, you know, it doesn't do the same thing to humans because our intestinal tract isn't the same. But it's like, eh, y'all testing them. Y'all, y'all ain't testing it on us. And so this is going to give different effects. Also, um, I think it was over in India, where um, I think the Indian government wanted to sue Monsanto because Monsanto lied about their seeds. So basically, they Monsanto sells these seeds, and people um, anecdotally call them Terminator seeds. So what happens is you plant them into the ground, you get one crop out of them, and then it kills the soil. So you can't plant anything else there except what Monsanto gives you. You can't plant anything organic. You have to get rid of the soil completely. So I say any seed that doesn't work in harmony with the earth is not going to work in harmony with you. That's just common sense. That's what <laughs> I, mean, I was about to just, say. You know, I'm always <laughs> trying to promote common sense. So we, if we just sum this up, and for those who don't know, GMO is genetically modified organisms, right? So for those who don't know, and you, you really like, okay, the common sense part of why... <laughs> Mm, GMO is probably not good for me would be what how how would you just explain that to the common person who who knows who today is their first time hearing what a GMO is if it's if GMOs will kill the earth it'll kill you because <laughs> we're we're essentially a microcosm of the earth from um trees uh blood or rivers um even the animal life that live and us, anything that lives on top of the earth, we can look at ourselves and say the same thing. You know, we have bacteria that live on and inside of us. We have hair that can represent trees. Um, and even like oil, oil represents blood. So anything that's going to kill the earth is going to kill you because, you know, you're a mini earth, <laughs> essentially, if you think about it like that. So, well, uh, and, and plus, go ahead. And, and another thing, the last time I checked... GMO crops have been banned in 38 countries. That was the last time I checked. I don't know yep. as of today. <laughs> so again, it's not rocket science when you're talking about manipulating. This is not 
And I don't want to go into the big, you know, debate of hybrids and GMOs. But when you talk about altering the DNA structure and then this stuff is they're they're crossing this to two completely different species. Like, you know, we're taking the fish cells and injecting it into into tomatoes. Exactly. Firefly cells, too. They do. Yep. Yep. That's exactly what they're doing. (laughs) This is not a mix between, you know, taking a a grapefruit and an orange and you have some cross contamination. This is not what that is. Right. And for those that debate this, I I just, again, will urge you to kind of trigger that common sense piece that 38 countries have banned to say, even if we don't know that this is dangerous, we don't know enough about it to say it's safe enough to take the risk for our right. people to be eating this. Right. Right. No, and that's, I mean, like you said, that's just common sense. And if you don't want, and even if you want to say, oh, well, GMOs are safe, well, the shit that they spray on it isn't safe. <laughs> so oh, you man. see these people out here in these fields that are spraying these GMO crops, they got hazmat suits on. So it's like, you got to put a wait, suit on wait, to spray stop. pesticides on my food that I'm going to eat this? Like, really, dude? All right. Guys, did, <laughs> so. you, have, did you hear this? This is real tall. You can Google this and actually see it. What in the hell would they be spraying on your food where they would need to be completely covered? No, that it's doesn't ring. Okay, yeah. So, and, but that takes me to my next question. Because the question I hear all the time, well, Rook, why? Why would they do that? Why would they poison us? Why? why? I mean, it just don't make sense to kill innocent people. Why? What? The question I have is, when we talk about chemical experimentation, genocide, things that they knowingly have done, how far back do we have to go to see this? Um, man, this... Whoa, that's... Oh, it's such a it's such a large history of experimentation. I mean, we can talk about now. I guarantee you and probably about 25 to 30 years, we'll know that Flint was an experiment. Ooh, And I wholeheartedly believe that we will know that Flint was an experiment because there's no way you get to poison a population of people with lead and nobody gets held accountable for it. So I firmly believe that in sometime in the, in the distant to near future, we will hear it. We will talk about Flint as if it were an experiment. Um, even if we go back to slave days, um, what's the guy's name? J Marion Sims. All right. So J Marion Sims is actually what's credited to be, the father of modern gynecology. Well, if we look at this from white eyes, it's like, oh, okay, well, sure. You know, now we have all these great things, um, all these great gynecological um, advancements because of this guy. Oh, this is great. We can do all these things that we couldn't do before. If you look at it from black eyes, it's like, yeah, but he experimented on slaves. So it's like the speculum, the catheter, like, the, and these things, I know that people, you know, I'm not a female, obviously, but I've seen speculums before. Them shits don't look comfortable, all right? Uh, and they're I not. Know, <laughs> <laughs> so, so imagine if you're going to get a routine checkup and they have to use a speculum and you feel uncomfortable. Imagine these slave women had to go through. And, then, and that's just to get it right to a point you can use it today. So you have that kind of experimentation. Um, you also have around, um, let's see, was it 
think it's another World War II thing. Yeah, so they exposed the black soldiers, uh, Puerto Rican soldiers, most of the people that had melanin in their skin. They exposed these soldiers to mustard gas to see what the effects were. And you still have people today that are having these gross side effects. Like there's one guy down in um in South Carolina, uh, I think he's in Somerville, where they did an article on him, I want to say, where his skin, he's like 93 years old right now. His skin still flakes to this day because of the experiments that they did back in World War II. And it's like, you know, you see these things repeatedly, the dusky syphilis experiments, um, things with World War II, and not even to mention some of the things that happened in Nazi Germany during the Holocaust. Um, there's just a large history of unethical medical experiments. I think one of the ones that is the grossest violation of um, of our humanity is with Henrietta Lacks. Now, and it's and you know it's 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 disheartening that you walk up to the average black person and they don't know who Henrietta Lacks is, and it's like, dude, I've worked with these cells before, and these people, she died poor, um, her parents died poor, some of her relatives died poor. I mean, her parents were sharecroppers. All right, so for people that don't know who Henrietta Lacks is, I think she was born in Alabama. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, it was somewhere in the south. But she came and had um, some female tests done, and I think she had cervical cancer. So the doctors, without her permission, saved the cervical cells, all right? And they were self-propagating, and they had never seen this before. Now, now so, tell the people what that means, because they like, huh? <laughs> so they would regenerate and grow on their own like they didn't need anything like they would just keep growing and keep growing and keep growing and keep growing they were very hard there was actually um there's actually a report that said when they had, there was a lab that got some HeLa cells and it just overtook everything that was in their freezer like these cells grew like gangbusters like they were very very um readily reproducible and they did it on their own so they kept these cells and they ran so many experiments on her cells and so many medical patents, so much money came from this lady's cells and she had no medical consent, no ability to give consent. And then when the parents or the, the, the relatives found out about it, they tried to sue. And to this day, they're still trying to fight this case. They're still trying to fight to get the money that is owed to them because literally the the pharmaceutical in the the pharmaceutical complex um, and healthcare in general they profited so much from this lady's sales billions and billions of dollars her family has not seen a dime and people argue about you know whether or not they should be paid and it's just like that's common sense dude like if you're able to find these these treatments that help people later on down the line, they should get paid too, especially because you took it without knowing or without her knowing. And there have been so many other instances of that, but to me, that's the most grievous one. I've worked with HeLa cells before and I just look at them and I'm just like, wow. how do we get this lady <laughs> justice? <laughs> like wow. how, well, and I how do you, that's the biggest thing to me that, that sticks out that people seem to miss that, you can talk all of the technicality part of this that you want, but your consent is not needed. I'm from North Carolina. Right. 
And I remember the um, hearing about the eugen- eugenics yeah. experiment that went on from you know 1929 to 1976, over seven seven thousand, mostly poor, mostly black, mostly disabled, and those people were sterilized. Yeah, what against what, without their consent? They were going yeah. in thinking they were going in either for some type of surgery tied to their pregnancy or um, getting some type of birth control and the consent wasn't needed. So when people say, well, well, why would they do it? Why have they ever done it? What reason do you need? And it's, and I'll tell you the shit that pissed me off. I don't get how we can see the lies. Oh, when it comes to our history, we know they lied to us. When it comes to the politics, we know they lying. When it comes to the, the money and the Federal Reserve, we got that. But if I tell you that when it comes to your health, the lie, no, 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 <laughs> the devil's a lie. No, I'm, I'm just going to take my pills. You get on out of here. <laughs> and it, and it blows me. And, you know. That takes me right into my next question. We start talking about pharmaceutical drugs. Talk about the herbs. Like, hmm, the parallels. The the things that really people don't know about these drugs. How they're formulated. What it is that it does to the body. What it doesn't do to the body. Like, what, what are the main key points that you think that people should really kind of understand when they are not only deciding to put this stuff in their body, but do it lifelong. Like most people I know, and I told this story, I think last week, you know, young lady I went to college with, it has been 10 years that to my knowledge, when I first remember hearing her talk about being on blood pressure medication and she's still Mm -hmm. on it. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, damn, well, yeah, if it's, if isn't it supposed to help you? Like, do you ever get better? Right. Do you ever <laughs> like, get off of it? Yeah. <laughs> like ten years and you still need it. What, what's up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, any well, I ain't gonna say any. I'll say a lot. There are a lot of pharmaceutical drugs that, in all honesty, are just less good versions of what you find in nature, and that's why they don't cure anything. Because not only is it less potent than what is actually put in nature, you strip out everything else that it was a constituent of the plant that has an enhancing effect. So and this is the thing that's different about white science versus black science. White science looks at the part. Black science looks at the whole. So when you separate a bioactive compound from a plant, it may be active and it still may retain some of its of its uh, biological activity, but you separated it from the other things that enhance the ability for it to interact with your body. So I'll give you an example. So a lot of the the um, the drugs that are used for neurological conditions. So there's this thing called the blood brain barrier. So our blood, for the most part, is aqueous, which means it's mostly water. And our brain is mostly solid, and it's mostly nonpolar. So, you know, it's, it's very lipophilic. So it likes it likes fats and things like that. There are some um, carbs that can, that can cross the blood-brain barrier, too, because they have a lot of carbon in them. So the big hurdle 
in developing neurological drugs are drugs that can cross the blood brain barrier. If you go look at the structure of a lot of these drugs, they look exactly like natural neurotransmitters. Um, one of them is GABA, um, gamma amino butyric acid. So most people that suffer from degenerative neurological conditions, their medicines, the main constituents of them look just like GABA. But you can get GABA from different herbs in nature, and they have other things that are associated with them that increase the healing effect. Another thing is um, turmeric. So the root itself, there's in India. So Indians have the lowest incidence of Alzheimer's disease. And a lot of people say it's because of the curry. Well, one of the main constituents of curry is turmeric root. So uh, some doctors out at UCLA thought they isolated um, the main bioactive constituent, which is this, um, this substance called curcumin. So they started selling a form of it that could cross the blood-brain barrier easily. So now fast forward to like three or four months ago. Now there's a report coming out saying that curcumin isn't the main constituent that helps alleviate symptoms of Alzheimer's. And I'm like, duh, because you separated it from everything else <laughs> that had the biological activity. Like you keep wanting to take the parts of the plant or the parts that seem to be quote unquote bioactive and neglecting everything else, not realizing that everything works in a holistic fashion. Same thing with um, Harvard. So Harvard actually has a program a lot of people don't know about that they'll send their medical students um, or like their arboretum students over to Africa. They'll go over there and study the plants and they'll bring some of them back. They'll test and separate um, the, the essential oil extracts of the plants, test for anything that's biochemically active, see if it lines up with any kind of disease and if it has any kind of disease activity. And for the most part, that's where they get a lot of um, inspiration to make these drugs. But it's like, OK, if you just take the plant, <laughs> then you don't need the drug. But pharmaceutical industry needs the drug because they need to keep making more money and they need to keep giving you these pills to take versus just giving you the plant. So these sap suckers actually go and research the natural plant and see what properties that they can pull from this plant to help formulate their drug. Oh yeah. Cause you have to think about it. So how else would you know you know what's affecting certain receptors like you can you can't it's very hard to study and take a receptor out of its system and have it function the same way in the system right right, right. so you look at a class of plants that have the the desired effect that you want you break the plant down you try to find as many of the biological active or biologically active compounds as you can and then you screen each one of them and then as soon as you find one that gives you any kind of activity then you start doing small modifications to it and that's where most of your drugs come from now i'm gonna ask you because i've been i've been really digging to find this and i have not been able to find it as of yet have you ever heard read Anything connected to some severe illness or death resulting from using 100% herbs, whether, you know, supplement or whatever. I personally haven't on um, the closest I've seen is um, 
Centileaf, so you don't want to take too much Centileaf. Centileaf is a laxative. You do not want to take too much of that stuff. (laughs) (laughs) It'll clean you right on out. Um, But other than that, no, I haven't ever seen any um, any herb that's recommended for you to take that will kill you. Of course, there's going to be plants out there that don't sync up with your body chemistry um and they and they are noted for the most part but as far as like herbs that people recommend you know like burdock root marshmallow root um dandelion greens uh echinacea herbs like that uh, you don't see too much out of that the only thing that they do is they just they just help heal your body i don't see any any herbs that um that have any kind of deleterious effects like that And, and i find that to be interesting not because i find it to be interesting but only because people will swell me up and down. They will go to their little doctor, get their little prescription, mosey on to the pharmacy, get their get 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 their little pills, come on home and take their pills religiously and not ask one question. Yeah. Not ask one question. Not even look to see how many deaths that are associated. Like mm-hmm. I, the last numbers that I looked at when you start talking about um, deaths from conventional medicine, it was upwards of seven over seven hundred thousand annually, mm-hmm. and over a hundred thousand of those being the result of prescription drug use. That's mm-hmm. not to mention the prescription drugs. Who and we can talk about this whole money thing because when we start talking about studies and how many of them have gone through the process, there's a money aspect of this, of how some of these are pushed through regardless of what the trials show, regardless of, whoa, we might, we might want to pull back. This is showing some adverse effects. We don't know, even if it's not deadly, we we may need to test further and they don't want to wait. So the money, that that you know is the underlining thing here is able to push those drugs through so yeah no that's very true so yeah i mean i just it's the questions I, i'm i'm trying to just really challenge people to ask the questions and just you turn that little brain on to start <laughs> what, what is it like no one questions this there there, there is not a study like the moment let one person inappropriately use because the the, the herbs are well researched. I mean, the, there are appropriate ways for them to be. I'll use an example. Tea tree oil is very mm-hmm. strong and very powerful. You don't put that directly on your skin because it can burn you. Mm-hmm. But if you use it improperly, you're going to get adverse results, right? Exactly. So, <laughs> exactly. But if, if we were to hear of one story like that, people would take it and run with it. Yet we are seeing the numbers from these prescription drug use. We are seeing, and let's not even get technical. Forget what the numbers say. Just look around. Look around right. in your own circle. Like people are getting worse. My aunt was on so many medications. I mean, her body had just broken out in hives. Mm-hmm. And people don't understand it. There's no way to study how many people are going to take a different subset of drugs. Like you could be taking, we don't know how, yes, you may take the same drug as that, right? But right. I don't know what other drugs you're taking and how they can interact together. Right. I could be, you could be taking blood pressure and, you know, fluid medicine. I could be taking cholesterol and that same blood pressure. Like, we just don't know how all of those things would interact. But it's something important that you said earlier that I wanted to go back to. And that was talking about 
isolation and the problem with trying to this, this is the problem that I have with the obsession with protein, the obsession with, you know, whether it's vitamin C and calcium or whatever. Nowhere in nature do you find these things isolated. Mm-hmm. These things work synergistically together. Right. So it has to be something like, and don't get me wrong, I was a supplement freak. I, I was on them, you know, at one point right. in time, like thinking I was doing good. I need all of this stuff. Like, you know, let's just, just keep, I, I swear, I know I was taking about 15 different pills at one time, mm-hmm. but I thought it was good. So I guess the, the piece that I'm kind of, kind of honing in on is the part of understanding that the drug one, as you have already mentioned, if you take the real thing and only strip a portion of that real thing, add all types of additional things to that small portion of the real thing, it's highly unlikely that it's even plausible that you can heal yourself from whatever your ailment is. Right. No, I I think that's I think that's a hundred percent true. It's like <laughs> you can't so Try to think of a good analogy for this. So it's like it's like it's like driving a car without a seatbelt, right? You can do it, but you put yourself at so much greater risk if something actually does happen. Like technically you could take your seatbelt out of your car and you can still drive it. But what happens when you get into that crash? You're probably gonna die. <laughs> like let's just keep it 100. It's probably gonna die, or you're probably gonna die. So when you start taking away the essential things that make things function in the desired way, you may get some activity out of it, but it's not gonna be optimal. And we should always be striving for optimal activity versus just good enough. Because when we have optimal health, everything else is optimal. Our, our mental capacity is optimal. And, you know, we we mesh, like our body is working in tandem. It's in sync. You know, we always talk about being in sync. Well, you can only be in sync if you're optimal. So optimal nutrition versus just, you know, hammering, focusing on one thing and focusing on one part. I mean, you're going to get some results in that area, but it's not going to be what you need. Right, 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 right. So I got to ask this question and I, and I, and people do not like everybody has pretty much lost their damn minds. So anything that you say is a trigger for folks, <laughs> but I don't care. So I'm going to ask, right? So you see all of these and I'm going to call them pseudo cause that's just what they are to me. Pseudo sexuality mm-hmm. and gender wars going on right now. Uh Oh, <laughs> right? so I want to know. When we started talking, we, 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 we done hit the industry. We talked about the food. We talking about the medicines. And we talking about all the, the manipulations that they're doing to manufacture our food. What role does endocrine disruptors and, and even just elaborate on even what that is and how that plays a role? Or if if you believe it does at all, some people say, you know. That has nothing to do with the, mm, what's the word, overly uh, excessive growth of gender and sexuality issues. Mm -hmm. What's your thoughts? So I think that it's it's a two-part issue. So I think that 
one, the media promotes a lot of sexual confusion. Um, I think that's just manufactured. And I, I will also say that I think that there are some people that just may naturally be, you know, LGBTQ. Um, I think there's some people that are being socially engineered and also food engineered when we talk about in endocrine disruptors. Um, so a lot of the products, like people's heads would explode if they knew how many regular healthcare products or beauty products have endocrine disruptors in them. So you're talking about, um, I think the big one is bisphenol A. Mm-hmm. So you talk about the endocrine system. The endocrine system is basically a hormone system that regulates, you know, your gender hormones. So um, bisphenol A mimics estrogen. So when you introduce bisphenol A to your body, it can go and it can interact with the same exact receptors that estrogen does. All right. So there was, oh man, this guy's name escapes me. I cannot remember his name. It's Tyrone something. Oh, let me see if I can remember this dude's name. You talking about the black scientist? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. I cannot remember. I can't remember his last name, but his research is completely dedicated to how the food supply is being engineered to change our genders or or promote sexual confusion. And some of his papers are peer reviewed. And see, they like to throw dirt on some of this research by saying, oh, well, it's not peer reviewed. Well, that guy's a professor emeritus, and some of his research is peer reviewed. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. That's his name, Tyrone Hayes. Tyrone Hayes, there you go. There you go. So this guy's research is legit now and the reason why they say that these things happen is because they look at the fish population so um i actually did a project um an original research proposal on um ethyl estradiol so ethyl estradiol is basically what's in the pill so you know people take birth control and basically it tricks your body into thinking that you have a level amount of uh, estrogen the whole entire time so when you get your period your estrogen levels actually spike down so that's what causes the egg to release but your pill it just keeps your estrogen level um uh stable so it does, there's no drop off so you so the egg never releases so people don't realize when that stuff metabolizes and you know you piss it out it's going into a water supply <laughs> so ooh, ooh. not only not only is this stuff going back into the water supply they give these birth control hormones to cows they give them to horses and you know they're you know eliminating into the water supply too so you're taking in all these synthetic drugs and some of them are natural because you do have women do have some amount of natural estrogen in their urine so some of it is natural but when you see this increase of people using birth control now you're starting to get it more concentrated and where do we see the most people using birth control pills? You see them using it in the hood because it's readily available by things like Planned Parenthood. You know, Obamacare made it easier for people to get birth control and things like that. So you're now you're starting to see a higher instance of people using these things. And it's more concentrated in urban areas. I actually read a paper about that while I was doing my, I was doing my project. I was like, shit, dude, this is crazy. So I was about to say, I'm going to tell you right now, I hear people saying, what is your proof? 
Oh, what are your receipts for that? No, I, yo, I got receipts on that. Trust me, there's about five or six papers, peer review papers I looked at that that basically confirm that all of this stuff is centralized in urban areas, and the urban areas have a much higher incidence of these endocrine disruptors being in the water. And it's just like, yo. So the catch is, this is the mean, mean trick. So we think that when our water goes through the water treatment facility, that they have a mechanism to get rid of most of these things. And for the most part, they do a good job of getting rid of all, getting rid of some of them. They don't get rid of all of it, though. Plus, with the higher increase of um, of endocrine disruptor load in the water, the conventional techniques, they're they're not as good. It's less stringent. So you're getting a lot more of these things pass through. The water and it's being recycled into your bath water It's being recycled into the water that you drink. Anything that comes out of the faucet, you're going to have those endocrine disruptors. You're also going to have um, antidepressants, anything that people um, any kind of medicine that people take and excrete out of their body is going to go through the water treatment facility. And because a lot of these treatment facilities don't have the cash to bring in the advanced equipment, all that stuff's going back into your water supply. So when you have these endocrine disruptors, they do affect your systems. And to some degree, there are people that would argue like Mr. Hayes or Dr. Hayes that it promotes sexual confusion. So on a scientific level, it 100 percent makes sense. Can I say to the degree or the extent that this is happening? No, obviously I can't. There's been no study that's been done on that. But common sense tells you (laughs) that if the fish in these populations are showing mixes of genitalia and their gender switching, it's very well likely that could be happening in us too. That's just common sense. So uh, another thing too, a lot of people don't realize that in receipt paper, so like if you get a receipt from a store, a lot of that stuff is coded in in bisphenol A. That's something I found out probably about five or six months ago. So our local food co-op, doesn't use BPA in their receipt paper and their receipt paper turns yellow. So the reason why these companies started using it, the reason they say that this is why they started using it is because it keeps the receipt paper white. So when you touch it, (laughs) your skin has oil on it, right? That's where we get the fingerprints and stuff from. So when you touch these receipts, bisphenol A is very lipophilic. So it likes lipids. It likes the oils on your skin. When you touch this receipt paper, that stuff's getting absorbed into your skin. Well, damn. <laughs> people, I'm telling you. And and I, and I also want to urge people, though, because I love being able to, first of all, learn information, but to share information. But the goal here is not to freak you out to where you become a psychomaniac about everything. But it is about empowering yourself to know and understand that they don't love you. they don't and if you don't decide to really take an aggressive approach to your health and your lifestyle and the things that you do on a day-to-day basis it it will have an impact whether now or whether later and you know as we wrap up you know my last question really just ties into that like where do where do we go from here where does the average person who really all of what we've said may be over their head. Like, look, I don't, I don't even know. Damn it. I'm going to die of something. <laughs> this is just too much. 
Like, I ain't got the time to be all of that stuff y'all talking about. Like, right. What What does that person like? What just on their level? What do they need to know? What can they do, or or what can they start doing that will be beneficial to them and their family? That's a great, great question. And they always say that the journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step. So I think you have to prime your mind, A, to say, you know, it's okay that I didn't know this. You know, I think a lot of people beat themselves up because it's like, damn, well, why didn't I know this? Why are people telling me this? So it's like, okay, you know, just just put that out of your mind for a second. Just say to yourself, it's okay. I didn't know this. All right. I know this now. So what are the things that I can do in order to um, move forward? So I think the big thing is, is. You must put fruits and vegetables in your diet. <laughs> like there is no getting away from that. There is zero ways to get away from that. You must put fruits and vegetables in your diet because I will say this even as a scientist, plants are amazing. Plants to me are at the top of the food chain. You have people saying that we're at the top of the food chain. We're parasites. <laughs> Everything we touch, we somehow manage to mess it up. Plants are the only thing that are on this planet that take things that we can't do anything with. And they do wonderful things with them. Like, for instance, like copper. We can't take copper. Copper is cytotoxic. Copper will burn our cells up. But when you eat plants, plants put it in a form that you can use. Copper mediates a lot of reactions in our body, you know? So, and even like I was talking about with hemoglobin and um, chlorophyll earlier, that's ready-made blood cells right there just from eating plants, just from eating the right combination of fruits and vegetables. You know, like these people, um, you know, Native Americans, even like your granny at um, like Thanksgiving time, she used to put the pineapple on the ham. We have a knowledge of this and we have a knowledge of the things that we used to do that used to center ourselves with this, this, as you put it, this holistic pursuit of medicine, it was something, or holistic pursuit of health. It was something that was already in our DNA. We just have to reclaim it. And we have to start by eating fruits and vegetables. I cannot stress that enough. If you're eating primarily meat, first of all, carnivores don't even eat meat three times a day. If we keep it at 100. So why the hell you think you should be eating meat (laughs) Uh three times a day? There's no reason for it. We must eat plants. We must eat fruits and vegetables. That is our diet. We are plant-based beings. Um, but, you know, if you eat meat all the time, make a small change. Instead of eating potatoes, eat um, or, or instead of eating meat, eat a mushroom. You know, eat a mushroom burger. Next time you get ready to go out on... Um, you want to go out and eat at a restaurant or something, you want to get a burger, ask for the black bean burger, ask for the quinoa patty. You know, these things are still going to give you the same amount of protein, but it's going to be easier for your body to digest. It's more biocompatible um, with your body than meat is. You can't eat death and expect to have life. Like, that's just that's just not going to work. We're not compatible that way. Um, what else? Also, so I know you talk about being um, or eating or taking supplements earlier. So, I will also say this as as a whole, I am anti supplement. All right. But for people that are just trying to get their feet into the water, I think if you take a whole food plant based supplement, 
think it's okay for a little bit. It's just like you have to consider yourself like you're in a wheelchair right now. All right. Let's say you had like you had like a like some kind of devastating knee injury or something like that. You're trying to learn how to walk again. That supplement's gonna be a crutch for you. It's not intended for you. It's not intended to be there forever, but it's intended to help you get on the right track because we generally associate supplements as being healthy. Right. So if you make one small change in that step towards health, taking that supplement, it'll get you to wanting to do more natural things. So instead of taking the supplement, now you're just taking the herb that it's coming from. You know, so instead of taking the supplement, now you make a tea, you know, so you have your um, let's say you're taking some kind of. Uh, dandelion supplement and you know you want to get off the supplement so now you just take the whole herb and and you boil it as a tea you know you find the different herbs that you like um so i think taking supplements as a, as a stepping stone to get your mind primed for um for more healthy things is okay um uh, overwhelming so exercise so small things will exercise instead of taking the elevator take the stairs um Instead of parking at the very front of um, of the store, park a couple rows back. Get a little bit more exercise. Get a little bit more oxygen. Um, cancer can't live in an oxygenated environment. That's been proven eight billion times. Wait, like, they say wait, this all- wait. Wait, wait. Yeah, you, you know, it's one of my favorite topics. It, could, could you repeat that, sir? Cancer cannot live in an <laughs> oxygenated environment. It can't. Mm. cancer cells are hypoxic they cannot stand oxygen if you put oxygen into a cancerous environment it will kill the cancer cells hmm. and and how do we keep our body in a highly oxygenated state by eating a whole food plant-based alkaline diet i'm just saying y'all the scientists said it i mean i i ain't no scientist and i ain't no doctor but the scientists said it that's all i'm saying (laughs) (laughs) but no i mean i mean all of of that is great advice all of that is i mean just starting where you are i just think that's so important it just doesn't matter i think sometimes and i'll use myself for an example sometimes you even the people who you kind of get some inspiration from who are wise and have a lot of information. Sometimes you even got to kind of stop listening to them for a moment because them looking at their progress may actually kind of show you all of what you're not. And even when you don't intend for it to do that, it's like, dang, it's like a constant reminder that, dang, I would like to be doing that. I would like, and sometimes you really just got to pull away it for a moment. Or pull away right. for good and don't come back at all. But, right. you know, because you don't want that to become all, a constant reminder of what you're not doing. It's reminding you of your failures when essentially there are no failures. There, There is no failing right. in this. No matter what it is right. that you attempt to do, you're constantly getting closer, moving closer, getting better, testing and trying. And that's really what this is all about. I know we want some type of quick formula. I know we want like, oh, I can save you. I see people, <laughs> you know, marketing like, yeah, I can save you the trouble that I had. You a lie. You may right. help me. <laughs> you you really may point me into the direction where I may not make some of the same reckless mistakes you made. But the time and the process, you cannot, you cannot exclude me from that. You can't exempt me from that. I got to go through that process. It may take more time or less time, but I, I'm not exempt from that. So, right. um. Yeah, that was that was good. And I mean, and lastly, 
you know, just a personal question for you is, is more or less, where do you go from now? Like all that, you know, and the lens that you look at, you, you are now you've transitioned over. You've seen things yourself. You've read things, you experimented, but then you're also doing things with your own body. Like, how does that tie into your future with, you know, your career, your field? Do you branch out on your own? Do you stay in line with science and, and you know, and try to save the day and, you know, be the big hero to say, <laughs> no, guys, we're doing it wrong. You know, what's the next move for you? So um, I actually am trying to get into a postdoctoral program that is more um, organic chemistry methodology based. So it's basically just coming up with new methods for making new materials uh, like plastics, things like that. So I want to get more into the methodology and, um, and and more material science because as far as you know the bio or the bioorganic chemistry goes, I don't really believe in it anymore, and I don't believe in it because it's not for us. Like it's great that you know we have these avenues and mechanisms that can help other people. That's excellent. Like I'm all for humanity and being empathetic, but my people need the most help. <laughs> so this, what I'm doing right now is not helping my people, period. It's just not doing it. My skills with what I know and the lens that I have, the lens that I have now, my time is better served in doing more material science and, and, and organic chemistry of that nature. Um, as far as the future, I really... Um, I want to work and have a chemical company where we look at things from an African centered perspective. Um, too many of us, I mean, we think we're white. <laughs> I mean, and, you know, good, bad, right or wrong, you know, however you see things, just take a step back and consider the information I presented here today. Um, some people are not going to agree with it, and that's fine. Um, but even Harriet Tubman said, you know, I freed thousands of slaves and I could have freed many more if they knew they were slaves. It's the same thing that's happening today. And a lot of that happens because we don't look at it from an African centered perspective. So for me personally, I want to do something where, you know, I'm starting a chemical company and I'm bringing other black people into the fold where, you know, chemistry isn't intimidating. Like if you, if you cook, you're doing chemistry. You bake. You're doing chemistry. Like, but we don't think about it like that. But I'm telling you, what my granny did on Thanksgiving is the same thing I do every day in lab. I just do it with different chemicals. But we don't think about it like that. So making chemistry more accessible for our people, um, having mechanisms, especially for these brothers that are out here. You know, they get caught up in like nonviolent. Um, crimes, you know, little petty offenses and things like that. You know, we always get slapped with more jail time. Having a, a mechanism and an avenue for these people to rejoin our society and come back into our fold and doing it through science, that's my ultimate goal. Like I want I, I want that mechanism to to you know because once you go through the the system like that people consider you a failure that felon tag is so hard to break it, it stops you from doing so many things and i think it's time that we have a mechanism and an avenue to bring these brothers and sisters back into the fold to where they can feel productive nobody wants to feel stupid nobody wants to feel like they can't do anything nobody wants to feel like they're ostracized from society 
from from things that they see other people doing and they're getting away with, you know? And it's time that we we use science and we use these things that we've been told have been inaccessible or we, you know, we have to look at it from a different perspective. It's time for us to look at our perspective so we can uplift our people. And that's basically what I'm trying to do. I love it. I love it. I love it, man. It's been a pleasure, my brother. Um, I appreciate having you on. Um, tell the good people where they can find you. So I have a podcast as well. Um, my podcast is called The Segregationist Papers. Uh, it's a play on the Federalist Papers that looks at things that we do typically from um, a white center perspective and it reverses it and puts it back into an African center perspective. So you can subscribe to that on iTunes, Google Play, and I also have a SoundCloud page. Uh, so you can check that out. Also on Twitter, you can find me at tj ricks r-i-c-k-s underscore m-t-g um i'm on there i'm fairly active on twitter uh if you you at me i will normally respond um but yeah as far as social media that's where i am also as rook said at the beginning of the podcast i'm phd student at the university of tennessee knoxville so if you're ever in the knoxville area and you know you want to go eat some good plant-based food holla at your boy i know a couple spots Well, there it is. That's all we got for you, good people. Until next time, peace. Thanks for listening to the Project Rick Podcast. Remember, you are your greatest assignment. Until next time.